Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you'd get a Bible out and open it up to the Old Testament, to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8. You can maybe find the book of Psalms in the middle of your Bible. Just take a bit of a left and you'll get to Nehemiah pretty quickly from there. Nehemiah, the 8th chapter, you're going to read a few verses there at the top of the chapter that will get us started in the Word of God in just a moment. As you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 8, and as you're getting settled in for this part of our worship, let me join in the welcome that's already been extended. We do have just a fine, fine number this morning. You know, we've mentioned we've got a bunch of folks from our own number that are traveling and in different places, and in some ways I'm kind of glad they're not here, because I don't know where we'd put them if they were all here, but we're glad that you're here if you're visiting with us. We just appreciate so much you've come to be with us, and we hope that you find everything that we're doing today to be done in spirit and in truth in keeping with the teaching of the New Testament. That's what this uh, period is all about. And this morning as we enter into this period of study, let's focus on God's Word. Let's be attentive and careful listeners to the Word. In Nehemiah chapter 8, speaking of careful, attentive listeners, in Nehemiah 8, I'm reading here beginning in verse 1, the Bible says that all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men, the women, and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I absolutely love these verses, and in fact the verses that follow as well. Because it speaks of a time in Israel's history when the people of God were away from the Lord. And they realized that they needed to make some changes. They realized that they needed a restoration. They needed a revival. They needed to return to the Word of God. And that's exactly what they did. And that all began, verse 3, by them having ears that were attentive to the Word. These are people who placed a premium on listening. These are people who said, hey, Ezra's going to be reading from the Scriptures today. We want to hear that. He's going to impart to us the Word of God. Hey, we need to hear that. These are folks who valued the role of hearing. Think about this then, those of you particularly that are members here at Lakeside. What did you hear in this auditorium seven days ago? I preached here seven days ago. What was that sermon about? Do you remember last Sunday morning? What texts did I preach from last Sunday? What did you take away from that particular sermon that helped your understanding and maybe helped you in your walk with the Lord? Do you remember that sermon at all? Were your ears attentive to the Word? You know, we have very high expectations for preaching. And as well we should. What we want is we want a sermon that is relevant, biblically based, and thoroughly applicable to our lives. We'd like that sermon to hold our attention, and certainly we would like for it to respect our time. Maybe having some PowerPoint to go along with it, that might be helpful. And we wouldn't mind even an interesting or a funny illustration along the way. What we expect is we expect that the preacher 
will have spent his week studying and laboring in the Word of God, digging deeply into the Scriptures, so that on Sunday he doesn't just have to, have to say something. No, instead, he's here to have something to say. And when he's done talking, what we expect is that that sermon will have drawn us closer to God and at least one step closer to heaven. That is what we want out of preaching. But I want you to think very, very carefully about the fact that even though the preacher does carry a very great responsibility in this part of our worship, he is not doing a solo. You understand that? There are two parts to preaching. There is the speaking part that I am doing right now. And then there is also the listening part that I am hoping you are doing right now. And the listeners share a responsibility in making the sermon work. If the listeners are not fully engaged, fully involved, fully invested, then that preaching really isn't going to accomplish its goal. Let me ask then, what is your strategy to be an effective listener? Think about it. You're going to hear, if you live long enough, you're going to hear thousands of sermons in your lifetime. What is your plan to be the kind of listener that we see described here in Nehemiah chapter 8? I ask that because I'll tell you, I've heard lots of sermons criticized in my lifetime. In fact, I've even done some of that criticizing myself. I've heard preachers who were criticized for preaching too long. I've heard preachers criticized for preaching too short. I've heard preachers criticized for preaching over people's heads, for not using any visuals, for using too many visuals, for doing all kinds of wrong things. But I'll tell you this, I don't think I've ever met anybody walk out the door and say, you know what, I just didn't listen very well today. It was my fault. I I blew it today. I just wasn't with it. I'm pretty sure that guy had some good stuff to say. I'm pretty sure he said some things that really would have helped me in my walk with the Lord. But you know what? I just was not a good listener. I've never heard anybody say that. Well, this morning, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how it is that we go about being a better listener in worship. Now, in some ways, that may sound a little bit self-serving, since I am the guy who does the majority of the preaching around here. But you know what? If we are going to have preaching every single week, And if we're going to pay and help support a preacher to do that vitally important work, then don't we want to get everything that we possibly can out of this important part of our worship to God? Don't we want this part of our worship to be something more than just the thing that we do before the invitation song? And furthermore, don't you think that God has certain expectations, not just for me as an evangelist, God also has certain expectations for those who would listen to the words of an evangelist. Make very clear, I am not here to perform for you. That's not what I'm doing. People maybe think I'm gearing up all week long so that I can put on this big performance on Sunday morning. That's not what I'm here for. I am simply here as a messenger, a servant of God, to present God's message as we all work along together in the Scripture. And so this morning, I want to show you three keys for better listening in worship. I truly believe that there are very few things that you could do that would improve your worship more, that would help you benefit more from worship, that would encourage you to come and worship than to be a better listener. 
And this morning I want to talk about that very thing. I think that all needs to begin by thinking about our, our expectations. What is it that we are expecting out of preaching? I think that has an effect on how we listen. I want to suggest to you, first of all, that what we need to do, excuse me, we need to enter with the expectation that we are going to hear from God today. If I were to just ask you, what is God's MO? What is God's modus operandi, His method of operation? What is God's primary way of getting His message into people's hearts and into people's minds? What is that? Well, the answer to that would be preaching. God's MO is preaching. Let me stitch together a few verses. Start with me in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, I want to just show you the enormous value that God places on the preaching, the proclamation of His Word. In Romans chapter 10, and in verse 14, Paul's talking here about the idea of calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Well, how does all of that process go about? How does that begin? Well, Romans 10 verse 14 says, How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Preaching is what gets that ball rolling. Let's add to that 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want you to notice that the Thessalonian brethren, they were commended for how they heard that preaching. In 1 Thessalonians 2, I'm reading here in verse 13. In 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, Paul says, We also thank God constantly for this. That when you, you Thessalonian brethren, when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God which is at work in you believers. Let me add one more passage in this connection in 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter talks here about the various roles and responsibilities that we have to, to serve as the people of God. He says in verse 11, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, whoever speaks, do that as one who speaks oracles of God. One translation renders that, that the one speaking should speak as though God were speaking through him. Have you ever thought about that? That God values preaching? That God uses preaching? And that God wants us to listen to preaching because it is one of the key ways in which He communicates His will and His desire for our lives. That means then that preaching is nothing less than the attempt to say to people from the Word of God what God would say if He were physically present right here Himself. That if God was right here right now, standing behind this podium This is what he would have to say to this audience. Now, you might be thinking, Josh, kind of adding all that up, that means that what preachers do is, that's a heavy burden and a heavy responsibility. You're speaking the words of God, and indeed it is. But I want you to know, and I'm speaking on behalf of all preachers, that doesn't mean that we always get it right. There have been many times where I have misspoken from the pulpit, I've misquoted something, maybe I just completely misinterpreted a passage, and then after services, either somebody you know kindly corrected me about that, or maybe I studied further myself and I realized, boy, I, well, I said the complete wrong thing about that. 
Preachers do mess up from time to time. And that is why I never tire of hearing brethren pray in their prayers, Lord, please bless the speaker of the hour, that he'll have a good remembrance of the things that he studied and prepared to say, and be with all of us as listeners, that we might have open hearts and open minds and open Bibles Searching the Scriptures to see if those things are so. That's a great prayer. That prayer is spot on. Having said all of that though, most of the time, most of the time, if we are a member of a local church, most of the time we're going to be worshiping in a situation where we know the man that's preaching. We've been able to build and invest some trust in that man. We know what he is trying to say even when it don't maybe always come out exactly right. And so we can trust that what he is saying is going to harmonize with that book. That doesn't mean that we just quit thinking for ourselves. That doesn't mean that we quit checking what he's saying from the Word of God. That doesn't mean that we just kind of mindlessly drink the Kool-Aid without ever making sure it's true. But what it does mean is it means that I can arrive here at this place with some level of expectation that today, today I'm going to hear from the Word of God. Today, the Scriptures will be opened to and used to make me a better servant of the Lord. I will hear a call from the Scriptures as to what I need to be in Christ Jesus. It will be based in Scripture. It will be from Scripture. The Scripture will explain to me what I need to do. And the Scripture will explain to me what I need not to do. In short, we ought to be able to arrive here at this place with this conviction that God is going to speak. That the Bible will be opened up and God will voice Himself to me through the pages of His Word. Do you ever think about that? This morning when you were getting dressed and getting ready to come here to services, did that thought enter your mind? That at some point this morning, Josh is going to stand up or somebody's going to stand up in front of us and I'm going to hear God speaking through His Word. You see, just that expectation... I think that just radically changes how we approach this part of our worship. That I'm going to church this morning, not necessarily to hear that red-headed fellow wearing the brightly colored tie stand up and flap his gums for a half hour. No. No. When we have the expectation that we are coming to hear from the Creator of the universe, oh, that just, that just commands our attention, doesn't it? Kind of hard for me to sit here during services and clip my fingernails or balance my checkbook, or be sending text messages while the preaching is going on because I recognize that the great I Am is speaking through His Word right now. I recognize that. I'm going to be reverent. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to be clinging to every single word because it is through this vehicle of preaching God is talking to me. Can I just kind of add right here in connection with that? then whenever we listen with this expectation that God is doing the talking, then just by default, that means that we also accept that God knows better than I do. Would you find Jeremiah chapter 10 with me in the Old Testament? In Jeremiah 10, Jeremiah had the, uh, I want to say opportunity, but in some ways really it was a burden to have to preach to a group of people that I just tell you, I don't think I would want to have to preach to. For nearly 40 years, Jeremiah preached to a group of people who just stubbornly did not want to listen to the Word of God. 
They already had their minds made up. Their minds had been filled with all kinds of prejudices and preconceived notions and assumptions and those things were preventing them from truly listening and accepting the words of God's preacher. And so, in Jeremiah 10 verse 23, the prophet, he makes this observation. In Jeremiah 10 verse 23, Jeremiah says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct His steps. Jeremiah says, we don't know what's best for ourselves. We don't know what to do if we're just left to our own devices. And you know what? Whenever I sit in a pew and I stubbornly refuse to let the Word of God get in there and sink deep into the soil of my heart and take root like it should, instead I'm thinking to myself, well, I've already got all this figured out. I just know better. I don't really agree with what that guy is saying up there. You know what? I don't like what that guy's saying. He's up there. He's stepping all over my toes. I don't like being pushed and challenged in those kinds of ways to, to grow and to ratchet up my level of discipleship. When I have that kind of mindset, what's going to happen? I'm not going to listen very well, am I? In order for preaching to have its desired effect, I need to anticipate, yes, that I'm going to hear from God today. Furthermore, I need to humble myself with the understanding that what God says is right, that it is best, and it is always right and best. And even though, yeah, I probably am going to hear some things that might step on my toes a little bit, make me uncomfortable, cause me to squirm a little bit in my seat, even though I may hear some things that cause me to recognize, you know what? I don't know everything. And I do have some work that I need to do in my life. The attitude of the godly listener says, I'm still going to submit. Because when God speaks, I will listen. In Isaiah 66 and verse 2, just stumbled across this passage yesterday. There the Lord says, these are the ones that I look on with favor. Those who are humble and who tremble at my word. That's what we're shooting for. Humility to the word of God, trembling at it. Because we recognize it is God speaking to us. Through preaching. And as soon as we get that right attitude about preaching, we will have taken a huge step closer to being a better listener. Secondly, let me suggest to you that not only do we need to get our minds situated and fixed, but I want to say that there are also some, some physical things that we need to do. I'm just saying, secondly, to be a better listener, I think we need to make some physical preparations. Would you find Luke chapter 22 with me? In Luke chapter 22, this is the record of Jesus uh, telling some of the apostles to get ready for what was a very important part of worship under the Old Covenant, and that was the observance of the Passover. I want you to notice what was a, an important part of observing the Passover. In Luke chapter 22, read there in verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? Jesus then in verse 10 following, He gives them some instructions about where to do that and all kinds of things they need to do. Drop down to verse number 12. He will show you, this man I'm sending you to, He will show you a large upper room furnished prepare it there. Verse 13, they went and they found it just as He had told them and they prepared the Passover. 
Here's Jesus and the apostles going to be engaging in an important aspect of worship. They didn't just kind of just jump into that without, without any thought or without any care. No, Jesus says there's some preparations that have to be made. Got to get that room ready. Got to get the actual meal itself prepared. Some physical things that needed to be taken care of beforehand. And I'm suggesting to you that in this part of worship, you'd be making some physical preparations as well. Because there most certainly is a physical component to what we are doing right now, isn't there? Sitting for 35 minutes or so on a thinly cushioned pew, that can be a challenge sometimes. It can be very hard on the mind to keep up with the preaching and the words that are being said and staying alert if our bodies are not prepared for all of that. Which is why we want to make as many preparations as we possibly can to accommodate the physical side of things. Let me illustrate that for you. If I were to get a call today from the leaders at the United Nations, and they call me and they say, hey, Mr. McKibben, we'd like to fly you up and come up to Manhattan, New York City, where the, where the headquarters for the United Nations are. We'd like to bring you in and we would like to discuss with you global economics. I can tell you what I would be doing to prepare for that between now and, say, Friday when we're going to have that. There'd be lots of things I'd be doing. I'd be getting, uh, doing a lot of studying and a lot of reading because I don't know anything about global economics. I'd be getting together my nicest suit to wear because I'd want to be able to kind of fit in with the people there and have them listen to me. I'd be getting my plane ticket ready. I'd be doing all kinds of things between now and Friday to prepare for that meeting with the leaders at the UN. Let me tell you what I would not do. I would not stay up late the night before binge-watching episodes of The Office on Netflix or whatever show until 5 a.m. in the morning. I would not be doing that. And the reason I would not be doing that is because I'd want to be able to be awake and alert and mentally sharp when I walk into that meeting. I'd want to be able to speak clearly and intelligently. I'd want the people there to be able to hear me and me be able to hear them as well. I'd want to be able to be a participant in what's going on. Staying up really late the night before, that wouldn't help me prepare at all. We know that to be true, don't we? Whether we're talking about a a fictional meeting with some dignitary, or whether we're talking about that big presentation at work tomorrow morning, or maybe going for a job interview some morning, maybe getting up for a big test like the ACT or some final exam. Nobody prepares for those kinds of things by staying up and partying all night long the night before. When something is important, we want to be physically ready so that our minds can be active and sharp. Let me ask you this then. Why is it that we'll make all those kinds of preparations? We'll get to bed early and do all that kind of stuff for our job or for school or for some other kind of event in our daily lives. But when Saturday night rolls around, knowing that the next day I've got an appointment with God, why is it there's not much of that urgency to get into bed? And as a result, come Sunday morning, we're dragging through those double doors, and our worship suffers, and more specifically, our listening suffers. You know, that's not an entirely new problem. Can I show you that in the Bible? Look in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, this idea of not really listening very well during preaching, and in fact even falling asleep during the preaching, that happened in New Testament times. In Acts chapter 20, I'm reading here beginning in verse 7, 
In Acts 20 and verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together, this is Paul and that would include Luke and several other brethren, they were meeting there at Troas. We were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Alright, I was checking just to make sure none of our kids were sitting next to the windows this morning. Think about Eutychus there. I, I know Eutychus. I know Eutychus very well. I've seen Eutychus before. As the guy standing up here, I see everything. I see everything's going on right now. And I've seen Eutychus while I've been preaching. And Eutychus has a tendency to agree with the sermons an awful lot. Yes. I know about Eutychus. The truth of the matter is, though, Eutychus, in all likelihood, was a slave. And what that meant is that meant that he had probably worked all day and was absolutely worn out and tired from the hard manual labor that slaves had to do. Let me ask, if you are a slave, I know sometimes we might say we feel like we're a slave. I'm asking really. If you are a slave, and yesterday you did all kinds of harsh manual labor for your taskmaster, would you please raise your hand? No. See, that's, that's just not very many of us. In fact, the truth of the matter is, while some people do have work obligations that cause them to have to work like on Saturday night or maybe on a Sunday afternoon, let's be honest, that's not always the reason for our sluggishness and our inattentiveness. Many times the reason that we're sluggish and inattentive is because we've been busy doing doing other stuff. We've been entertaining ourselves. We maybe were lying in bed the night before and we pulled out our smartphone and we started scrolling through Facebook. And that then led to a YouTube video. And we went down the wormhole of YouTube videos. And before you know it, we squandered six hours watching goofy stuff on the Internet. Maybe we've been watching TV or DVDs all night long. Maybe we've been running around, running on the roads in the late Saturday night hours. Not doing something sinful, but we're just being way too late knowing full well that I'm not going to be properly rested for my appointment with God in the morning. And I should say right here, this is something that I have noticed with greater and greater regularity amongst young people. Sometimes I actually wonder if maybe Eutychus was a teenager. Because it seems like that oftentimes is the segment in the audience who's just about the toughest to keep them alert and keep them awake and keep them listening during the preaching. Yet I'll say this, young people, I've still yet to find a single passage in the New Testament that gives a free pass to teenagers that they don't have to listen well. I want to tell you though, as we talk about making physical preparations, this isn't just about getting to bed early and all that kind of stuff. What about other things? Just obvious stuff like getting our stuff together. Maybe on Saturday night, kind of already having my clothes picked out of what I'm going to wear. Having all that stuff that I need to take when I go out the door. Getting my Bible and knowing where that's at. That way I'm not scrambling around looking for that. Having my Bible class book ready. Getting the diaper bag ready and all that other kind of stuff. So that we can get here on time. And we're not rushing like a madman through the front door, out of breath, and our thoughts are in a million different places. We need to prepare. We need to get ready. We want to be like those Israelites in Exodus chapter 19. Do you remember that? 
Shortly before, they were going to have to meet with God at Mount Sinai. And the law, the Word of God was going to be delivered to Moses and delivered to those people. God says, I want you all to get ready. And He even gives some specific physical preparations that needed to be made. They need to get your clothes washed. You take a bath. Do all that kind of stuff so that you can be ready three days from now to meet with the Lord and hear my Word. And I want to suggest to you that that even can include for us even getting ready while we're in the worship service. You thought about that? There are things that we can do physically, even right now, that will help us to be better prepared. Like, for example, getting that Bible out. Opening it up. Following along with the passages. Doing like those people in Acts 17, verse 11. That may mean getting out a notebook and a pen. I see people doing that this morning. You do that kind of thing. That forces you to just listen a little closer. That may mean as well sitting somewhere in the auditorium that's going to be conducive to good listening. And I don't necessarily just mean the idea of sitting somewhere where you can you know, hear because maybe you're hard of hearing, although that is important. But I'm talking about sitting somewhere where you're not going to be easily distracted by other things. I've often said, I can't sit in the back. There's just no way I could sit in the back. Because I'm the type of person that's like, hey, what's going on? Let's see what that guy's doing up there. I'm the one when the baby wants to turn around and make googly faces. I want to make googly faces right back at the baby. That's just not going to be a good place for me to sit. Maybe you're able to deal with all of that. But I should tell you, there are people that I have observed throughout my few years of preaching who I believe go above and beyond in making those kinds of preparations so that they can listen well. Figuratively speaking, they are on the edge of their seat, just kind of leaning in a little closer so as not to miss a single word. They want to know what God has to say. They listen very, very intentionally. They are very deliberate about their listening. They follow along in the Bible. Their eyes are fixed and trained squarely in this direction. They're not looking at all the other stuff. They have prepared themselves physically so that they can be ready mentally and spiritually. But I must tell you as well that there are also a fair share of people, Christians, who are much more casual than that. They are the ones who are looking around at everything else that's going on during the assembly time. They start counting the number of bulbs in the light fixture. Boy, I wonder how many is in there. Let me just sit and count those while that guy's talking. They are the ones who get up and make 15 trips to the bathroom, not because they have a weak bladder or some kind of a health issue, but because apparently the water back there just tastes so good. They are the ones who tie knots in the ribbons of the hymnal. They look out the window at everything that's going on out there. They make the funny faces at the baby because all of that is apparently so much more important than listening to the Word of God. Or I'll tell you this, I've even known some folks who were even involved in a spiritual endeavor during the preaching. I remember a few years ago, and this guy was sat like on the right on the front row He was sitting there while I was preaching. This was a grown man. I think he was like in his 60s. And while I'm preaching, he's just filling out his Bible class lesson for, I assume, Wednesday night. Hey, at least it's something spiritual. All of those scenarios, people aren't listening. It's clear that they didn't expect much. And it is clear, secondly, that they didn't prepare much. And if you were to ask them as they walk out the building, hey, what you think about that sermon today? They'll probably be the ones who will tell you, eh, I didn't get much out of that. And you know what? They're exactly right. They didn't get much out of that. You want to improve your listening skills. I believe you need to be intentional about making some physical preparations. 
Finally then this morning, if we're going to move from the point of being just passive listeners to being active and obedient listeners, then I need to say a word about personal application. Because being a better listener means that you'll have to listen for yourself with the intention of making personal application. Would you find Matthew chapter 26, please? In Matthew chapter 26, this is the account of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. And He's talking with His disciples and preparing them for what is about to happen. And I love this passage, not necessarily because of the bad news that Jesus is having to tell, but because of the reaction to that news. In Matthew chapter 26, I'm reading here in verse 21. In Matthew 26, verse 21, As they were eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Verse 22 now. And they, this would be the apostles, the disciples, they were very sorrowful, and they began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? Is it I? Let me tell you why I love that passage. I love that passage because everybody who was sitting there at that table, they all took personally what Jesus said. Nobody at the table said, Oh, I think he's talking about Bartholomew. Yeah, that's who's going to betray Jesus. Bartholomew's going to betray Jesus. And then somebody else said, No, I'll tell you who it is. It's Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. You can't trust tax collectors. It's got to be him that's going to do that. No! Everybody at that table, to a man, they said, Is it I? Is it me, Lord? Are you speaking about me? Am I the one who is going to fail you this night? All of those guys were listening, and they were listening for themselves. They were making personal application of Christ's words in that moment. Yet you and I know, that it is tremendously easy to think about anybody but ourselves during the sermon. Oh, Josh is preaching on gossip today. (laughs) Well, I know who needs to listen to this, Sister Chatty Mouth. She needs to pay attention to this sermon. Or you know, Josh is up there preaching on something and we start thinking, Oh, I wish brother so-and-so was here today. Oh, he needed that lesson. Oh, why weren't they here for that? Hold on just a second there. Are we busy applying the sermon to everybody else before we make the application to our own lives? Let me be very clear about this. Preaching is designed to be applied. That's the intention of preaching. Good preaching always answers the so what question. You know what I'm talking about here? Here's the preacher. He's going to give this truth. He gives this doctrine. He gives all of this stuff that God wants us to know. Then there is the response on our part. Okay, so what? What do I do with all of that information now, Mr. Preacher Man? Well, that's the application end of things. Good preaching always has some so what stuff in it. In Acts chapter 2, I think one of the best examples of this. Peter preaches about Jesus. That Jesus Christ, He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Peter stitches together all kinds of Old Testament prophecies to point to that inescapable fact. And then he says to his audience, You killed Him. Those people respond in verse 37 by saying, What do we do? Alright, we get what you said. What do we do about that now? Verse 38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized. Peter answered the so what question, didn't he? And what I'm saying is that every sermon, I'll say this to some of our guys that do preaching from time to time, 
Every sermon ought to have some so what stuff in it. In fact, if you ever hear me preach a sermon that does not answer the so what question, what you should do is not pat me on the back and say, Josh, great sermon today, and walk out the door. No, you should actually stop me and say, Josh, appreciate all the stuff you said today, but uh, I'm not sure I caught what I'm supposed to do with all of that. I think I may have missed the so what. Good preaching has some so what to it. Listen to me very carefully now. When that so what, when it is clear, when it is obvious, and we then hear that and we do not make application of that immediately and personally and intensely to ourselves, if we cannot find ourselves in the message, if we cannot plug ourselves into the Word of God to have it mold us and shape us to be more like Jesus, then I'll tell you this, it's not the preaching that has failed. It's the listener. It is the listener who did not submit himself or herself to God. It is the listener who did not have the honesty to look into the mirror of God's Word and see themselves as they really are. It is the listener who did not have the courage to make the changes that were necessary indeed to repent. Not the preaching that fails in that scenario. It is a breakdown on the other end of the equation. It is a failure on the part of the listener to apply the living Word of God to their lives. And I do. I do believe that is the most important part of good listening. Look in James chapter 2, one final passage. Excuse me, James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, James talks about listening and how important that is, but that we can't just stop short there. In James chapter 1 and in verse 22, James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He, the doer, he will be blessed in his doing. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Taking my life and shoving it into the message to see how that message works on me and molds me and changes me and shapes me. That's what good preaching ought to do whenever it is married to good listening. Now, I hope right now, nobody is still sitting there scratching their heads thinking, what did Josh preach on last Sunday morning? He asked us that, and I've been racking my brain this whole time. If you've been doing that this entire time, then guess what? You haven't listened very well today. We want to do better than that. And we can do better than that, and God expects us to do better than that. In fact, Jesus Himself makes mention of that in the Gospels. In Luke 8 and verse 18, Jesus Himself said, Take heed how you hear. It's important to hear. Jesus says it's also important to take heed how you do that. I like how the NIV renders that. He says, Consider carefully... How you listen. Let's resolve, starting right now, I'm going to do better with that listening thing. And I don't care if you already are a good listener. I like to think that I'm a pretty good listener when somebody else is preaching. But you know what? I can improve. All of us can improve. Let's resolve to be better listeners of God's Word so that we can then apply God's Word in our lives and be found doing His will. Now, just a moment. 
we're going to sing the song of invitation. And as we extend the invitation of our Lord, it is all about that last point that I made a moment ago. It's all about making personal application of the Word of God. This is about a moment of doing something. Of course, all of that doing does begin with hearing, doesn't it? In fact, God's plan for man's salvation, it begins with hearing the Word of God. Hearing it, accepting it, believing it, and then that belief then producing within us the desire to take action, to confess our faith in Christ, to repent, to turn from sin, and yes, to be baptized in water for the remission of our sins. All things are prepared and ready for you to become a Christian today. You can become a doer of the Word of God. Brother or sister, it may very well be that somewhere along the way, that doing business, ah, it's just not really kind of up to par. You need to repent of that. Get back to doing God's will. If we can pray with you and encourage you in some way, this is your invitation as well. Whatever your circumstance might be, let's all leave here today saying, you know what? I'm resolved to be a good listener, but I'm also resolved to be a doer. Let's do that. Let's do it right now while we stand and while we sing.